Back Fence PDX Radio receives love from St. Cupcake. Their creations are made from scratch with their hands and their hearts. Everything is baked the day it's shipped. SaintCupcake.com. This is Back Fence PDX Radio. I'm B. Frain Masters. With the next story is Meg Warden. In high school, Meg was the runner-up lilac princess and dreamed of being a solid gold dancer, because who didn't? Told at the Mission Theater in Portland, here's Meg on the night mistakes were made. So my newborn baby was eight weeks old. And he woke up early, as babies do, to eat one morning. And I got out of bed, and I had this light blue bathrobe on. It was my boyfriend's bathrobe. Nothing really fit me yet. I got up to feed my baby, and there is this loud pounding at the door. And my boyfriend's in bed, and he says, Oh, shit, it's the feds. <laughs> and... He, he knew that because he was a career criminal. He was um, what they call an earner for the mafia. And that is when you're not actually Italian, so you can't be a maid guy, but um, you get to work for them and make money. So he'd been expecting the feds to show up for some time, kind of in the back of his head. And he got up to open the door and... Um, I'm holding my infant, and this robe is getting wet. If you've ever had a baby, sometimes they're not really controllable. So (laughs) the robe's getting wet, and my baby is hungry, and he opens the door, and there's six federal agents with their guns drawn and bulletproof vests on, and they come into our house, our apartment in Brooklyn, and they spread around and they are shouting and asking us, is anyone else in here? Do you have any weapons? And I don't really know what to do. I'm, I've got this baby and my, my boyfriend is getting handcuffed and he's kind of all I've got. I'm, I've got no family in New York at the time and um, it was a pretty tenuous relationship as it as it was being you know wasn't very safe where what we were doing so um (laughs) so he gets taken away and um so eventually i mean sort of everything goes into into crazy mode i'm i'm here i've got four dollars you know living with a criminal it's feast or famine so I have $4 when he leaves. We either have a shoebox full of money or nothing. And I've got $4 and he's gone. And I don't know where he is. And I've got a couple, I've got some people coming in to help me a little bit, some of his friends. And um, I move into this smaller apartment because I'm thinking, well, that's what I should do. I should move into a smaller apartment. And I don't really know at this point what's going to happen to him if they're going to keep him. There's a lot of unknowns and I'm really scared. So, I move into the smaller apartment, and it's two weeks to the day that I move in that there's another knock on the door. And I've got my baby. I'm I'm mashing up bananas because he's hungry again. And I open the door, 
And there's these two guys standing at the door holding badges. And they're kind of dressed like the Beastie Boys a little bit. They've got like backwards Hurley caps and brand new stuff. I mean, just everything's new, but they're kind of looking like they're going to a rave in the morning in New York. And they, I open the door and they're actually there for me. They say, you know, are, are you Meg Warden? And I'm, yes. And do you know this guy? And they start asking me they, all these questions. And I, I mean, I've invited them in. They're sitting on my sofa and I'm, I'm holding again this, this baby who's now a couple of months older. He's got his little red and white striped pajamas like Whoville and um, his little rattle. And he, they're asking me, you know, we know what you did. And and I had done it. What, what had happened is about a year and a half previous to all of this, I had been flying ecstasy tablets from New York City to Springfield, Missouri. My boyfriend, the one that was in the bed that had expected the feds, would tape them onto my body. We would put an ace bandage and I would pull up a girdle and put a loose shirt on. This is pre-9-11. So I would go through security with a jacket on and carry these ecstasy tablets to Springfield, Missouri. And it was pretty fun. Like, it was a big adventure. I felt really empowered. I, I had something in my backpack that was really valuable. And I got to, like, take up space, and people came to me for this. So then, it, then that kind of died down, and I got really sick of hanging out with drug dealers. And I was like, we need friends that go to the Guggenheim. This sucks. And so um, I, we stopped. Like it was that, it just wasn't even a big deal. It was like we did it. I contacted my creditors and um, used the drug money to pay off my debts. Like I was like the world's dorkiest drug dealer. And I, so I had nothing to show for it except a little bit of a higher credit rating. And um, so here are these guys in my apartment. And I've got my baby, and they're being awfully jerkish, and they're telling me, you know, you need to tell us what happened. And it'll be, we're here to help you. This will be good for you, because you can get it off your chest, and we're going to help you. And I'm, I'm, fortunately, I mean, I guess that's a matter of perspective. I'd just gone through this thing with my boyfriend, so I knew better than to say anything to these people. And I, I called the mafia lawyer guy that all these people were talking to, this disbarred guy that was like helped out with the Fugazi stuff. And he actually helped me. He got on the phone with these guys. I mean, they were saying, you know, you might have to call someone to take your baby and we might have to take you back to Springfield right now. And this is terrifying. This is like, like nobody is here to like, who do I call? I've, I've all of a sudden, like, screw the drug dealing, I've got this baby, like, he counts on me, and I've got bananas in the food processor, and nobody to take care of him, and I just felt like the blood had drained right to my feet, um, you know, you don't mess with my kid, so this lawyer got on with them, and, and said, you need to leave, they hooked me up with another lawyer, and I'm in this apartment, and it's really, really more than I think any mother should have to bear. I mean, I'm looking at this baby, and he's got his little striped pajamas and his rattle, and he's chewing on his rattle, and he doesn't have any idea, you know, what's just happened or what is perhaps getting ready to happen in his life. And, um, you know, 
so unfair. It just was so unfair to have to imagine that for him. And so I ended up, we're fast forwarding a little, I, ha I had to move to Missouri where my grandparents had retired and were living on a farm in the middle of what they call in the Ozarks the holler. So I had to move from New York City to the holler, which sucked. <laughs> And um, I would just worked really hard. I had to waitress, and I was a hairdresser at the time, so I was, I was cutting hair and waiting while I was on what they call pretrial services. Um, Springfield, Missouri, takes it very seriously when you fly 5,000 tabs of ecstasy into their town, and I was now the New York wing of Operation Exposed. There were 16 people on my indictment. I only knew two of them, um, my boyfriend who got the pills and the guy I dropped off to. And it had been a long time and um, things had changed. I'd had a baby. I was no longer using drugs recreationally to the extent that I was. And um, I was... <laughs> I was taking really good care. I was doing yoga. I was doing a lot of yoga. I was training even at this point to be a yoga teacher. Like I was really, really wanting to do right by this little boy who meant everything to me. And so during pretrial services, I'm doing drug tests. I'm going through this process and I'm, get, I'm going to be sentenced. And um, my lawyer keeps saying, you know, I keep hearing these words from these people, not a foxhole conversion. It's going to be fine. You're either going to get five years probation or you'll have six months to self-report. This means that if you get prison time, that you get six months to get your affairs in order and you get to take yourself to the prison and check in. So neither of those options seemed great, but I was going to have to do them. So I'm, I'm prepared. I'm carrying on. And since I was kind of at the top of this hierarchy of people on the indictment, my sentencing had to be one of the last ones. And so they kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And I'm living with this huge thing. I mean, I can't really tell anyone. I'm in a small town and um, I'm working and I've got this thing running like a program, you know, on your computer. It's just running and running in the back of my head and sucking out all my energy. And um, I, I can't even describe. I mean, it's just like, how do you plan your future? So finally they call me and they've scheduled my sentencing for December 24th. At this point, I've got an 18-month-old baby who's having some cognizance around Santa Claus and Christmas, and he is saying to everyone, he wants a rocking horse, and I have bought this rocking horse, and it's cute and wooden, and it's got little yarn hair, and, and it's up in the attic, and it's going to be his first, I'm going to be Santa Claus, like I'm a new mom. And so I go the morning of the 24th. I, I hadn't slept at all that night. I have a really bad feeling. The lawyer, they're still saying, you know, this whole five years probation, six months to self-report, and I have a terrible feeling. But I take my own car, and I drive my son to daycare, Miss Connie's house. And um, he were getting closer, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I see his face in the car seat behind me. He's saying, Miss Connie's house. There it is, Miss Connie's house. And I drop him off at Miss Connie's house, and... He used to wave at me out the window, 
And Miss Connie said that he would say, bye mama, bye mama, bye mama, bye mama. And I, I didn't know that because I was driving away, but that he would do that. I could see him and he would say that until my car was completely gone. And as I drove away that morning, I saw just his black hair and I can tell, you know, he's standing on something just so his eyes clear the windowsill and he's making this I love you sign with his hands. He's going, bye mama, bye mama, bye mama. And I'm driving away and I drive and I get to the courthouse and I'm standing in the courthouse in front of this judge and my family has come in another car. I've got my grandparents and my mom and an aunt and a cousin. And they all stand up. All these people stand up. And my lawyer stands up. And all this not a foxhole conversion action happens. And, and she's a good mother. And she's working two jobs. And this is a one-time thing. And it was a bad relationship. And, and all these things get said. And the judge looks at me after about a half an hour. And I'm, I read my apology. They tell me, be ashamed. You need to be very ashamed. Do not go in there with your tail wagging. You need your tail between your legs. And I read this thing, how sorry I am that I've done this terrible thing. Anyway, so about a half an hour and the judge says to me, I just want to say, you're really lucky that you have your parents to take care of your son while you're away. And maybe while you're in prison, you can start thinking about making some better choices for your life. Again, it's like my blood is pooled on the floor. I'm in a vacuum. I can't even think what is getting ready to happen, that I am not going to leave this building free. I have to take off my coat and my jewelry, and I have to hand it to my mom. She's screaming. Two men get up. I hadn't even seen them. They're sitting at the side. They get up. Two federal marshals come and hold me by the arm and say, we'll take you behind this door so that your mom doesn't have to see you get handcuffed. They take me behind the door and I can still hear my mom screaming. But more than that, I see that little shock of black hair and that I love you sign. And I'm thinking, my God, that, that baby, you know, he doesn't even know that by mama, what, what that, that really meant this morning. And they take me to down to this holding cell, and that's how I started the two years I spent in federal prison in Texas. During that time, I saw my son three times. My mom, my grandma drove him down. And I have to say that it's a miracle, and I feel really lucky that during that period of time, our connection stayed extremely strong. I called him every day. I sang twinkle, twinkle, little star to him over the phone at night to put him to sleep. And when I got home after two years, he ran out of the door so fast and so hard. He still tells the story of how he fell on the floor. And then I picked him up and put him in my arms and his face in my neck. And he said to me, Mom, I missed you. I'm so glad that we don't have to cry about missing each other anymore. Now we can cry about other things. Thank you.
were just listening to Meg Warden's incredible story. Wow. Today, her son loves duct tape, eating sushi, and imitating Dwight Schrute from The Office. Meg is currently a writer and nutrition coach here in Portland. Coming up, when you've wanted and wished for something since you were a kid, there comes a point where you'll say just about anything to get it. To learn more about our show and about our live show in Portland, visit our website, backfencepdx.com. There you'll also find podcasts of the radio show and more information about our storytellers. This is Backfence PDX Radio.